The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is your host, Ken Smith, alongside with Certified Financial Planner, Ethan Baroga. Hey, Good Ken. afternoon, Ethan. Uh, sitting in, we also have Sean Zubair, the Zubinator, and uh, Simone Lou, our uh, technical engineer here at the radio program. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas that hopefully will help you make a lifetime mm-hmm. of smarter financial decisions, our goal is that uh, every listener and every client that we work with here at Empirical become financially independent and have peace of mind uh, that they are making the most prudent financial decisions. Ethan, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about how we can help them out, advisors and individuals? Yeah, several ways, actually. If you're just a... Uh, a person out there listening to the show today, you'd like to ask a question or maybe you have something on your mind that, in regards to finances that you'd like to ask on the air, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can reach us at 866-472-5790 or at uh, contact at empiradio.com. Um, of course, if you're looking for financial guidance out there, if you're, you're looking for some help with your investments, your financial planning, perhaps you're thinking about retirement and don't know exactly if you're on track, or just want somebody to have a, a second opinion on your portfolio, we can also... Uh, engage us for that as well. And uh, to do that, you probably want to give us a call on the main line here at the Empirical Tower in downtown Seattle at uh, 206-923-3407. And um, feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan. Um, also, if you're an advisor out there and uh, you're listening to the show and maybe you're you're working with a, a large firm now or maybe you just start out on your own and you're looking to partner up with a, a well-established firm that has uh, developed an infrastructure and a, a solid investment strategy, that allows you the time to focus on meeting with clients, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, a number again is 206-923-4307. Excellent, Ethan. Well, today's show, I thought we would uh, cover a um, just a little quick market update, and uh, which I like to start including every week. You know, while you're working or hanging out, driving, maybe you're listening to this on your smartphone, and... Um, you know, so I thought we'd start kind of updating what's going on in the market. And then uh, we get through with that. I thought we'd take a uh, an interesting question that was posed to me um, meeting with a prospective client the other day about the role history plays in an effective uh, investment strategy. And uh, I talked to you about that a little bit before the show, Ethan. I think it's a, a very fascinating and interesting uh 
topic, and there's a lot of behavioral financial aspects to the answer to that question, I sure. think, but um, we get it very commonly, and I think over the course of our careers, we've had that question quite a bit, and it's, you know, how much credence do you give to past data, um, or should you have a strategy that's entirely future-based? You know, you're just looking into the future and making current decisions based on what you think will happen in the future. So I want to I want to tackle that. You know, sounds like a good discussion point. Put your helmets on. We're going to tackle that one. <laughs> um, so before we do though, the Dow closed up today, Ethan. It was around seventy points. We we're closed at uh, twelve thousand nine oh seven point four nine approximately. Um, so it's down a little bit from last week at this time. Uh, it's closed. We were about 12,980. And uh, for a while there, we had exceeded the 13,000 level. And that uh, was the first time there at the end of uh, February that we'd done that since uh, May of 2008, I believe. Wow. So the question now, and I, there was an article um, I meant to finish reading. I didn't get a chance to that somebody, uh, this guy wrote in the Seattle Times. We're in Seattle here with Imperial. Imperial about why he wasn't going to be, uh, shouldn't be in the stock market. So maybe we'll grab that. Did you read it? I did read that. Oh, what was it? Well, what was the guy's name? Uh, I actually have it here. Uh, let, me, let me call it on oh, briefly here. We didn't even talk about this. This is a uh, spur of the moment, right? Spur of Yeah, the David moment. Stockman, right? Yeah, David uh, uh, Stockman. Q&A, Q&A uh, Economic Disaster in the Works is the name of the article. And, um, yeah, this is also uh, published on the USA Today, which is where I got it. Oh, okay. The Seattle Times must have picked it up. But uh, basically, it's a former Reagan, um, I think, um, financial uh, finance advisor um, back in the 80s. And um, it has some pretty good uh, or pretty stark things to say about the future of the st- stock market anyway and the economy as in general. So. All right. Well, maybe we can read that. Yeah, sure. And we can talk we can about that. See what. Uh, I, actually, I actually got uh, an email from a client on this specific article as well. You did? I did. All right. Well, let's progress along. We'll come back to that. The uh, S&P 500 closed at 1367. And um, I'm going to skip these other markets here, but we'll get down to the bond rates real quick. One-year treasuries this week, uh, 0.18. Zealed, uh, three-year treasury, 0.43. Five-year treasury at 0.88. And uh, if you... Put your money in a 10-year treasury, you're looking at about 2.02%, slightly up from last week. Uh, and the 30-year treasury, 3.18. Wow. Uh, tips right now, the five-year treasury inf- uh, inflation-protected treasury is yielding 1.3, negative, I'm sorry, 1.39%. Wow. Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting, right? Indeed. But... Um, I was just looking if the three the uh, five years point eight eight um, year your uh, I asked uh, our our guy Elliot to put the break even uh, inflation rates on the sheet that we're going to do it's it's not here he didn't do it he didn't do it so don't oh, worry boy. about it right now don't worry yeah, Elliot if you're listening to the show we'll talk after yeah I'll, I'll calculate out all these over the break anywho <laughs> who um, the 10-year inflation uh, protected treasury is negative 0.25, um, negative 0.25 on that, and uh, 30-year inflation uh, protected treasury 
is positive 0.82. So it's pretty interesting with the 30-year. Um, hmm. Real quick, five-year AAA corporates, 2.03. So that's up a little from last week, the yield on, on those. Uh, 10-year AAAs at 2.41. And uh, 20-year AAAs, 5.13. Wow, so the so the five year treasury versus the five year corporate triple A is about two the spread's about two percent, two and a quarter? Uh no, the five year uh treas versus a triple A corporate's one point one five. Oh, I see. Um because you got a point eight eight, right? And then uh two point zero zero three. Ah, uh, okay. So it's about one point one five is the spread there. I see. Do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um it's reasonable. Reasonable. It's reasonable. And then the 10-year spread, uh, 0.39. So not so juicy there if you were looking no, at much narrower, huh? I see. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you're, you're getting paid um, a little bit more on the shorter end in that area. And then the uh, 10-year AAA, no, I already covered that. Sorry. Um, let's take a look at this. So the tax-exempt yield if, or a tax-equivalent yield if you're looking at municipal bonds and you look at uh, five-year muni at uh, 0.8 is the yield, and then if you were to say you're in a 28% tax bracket, just kind of middle of the road, I guess, um, your tax equivalent yield then on that five-year would be 1.12. Oh, I see. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so if you looked at that versus, say, uh, Treasury, um, the... Uh, your two point, let's see, the five years, one point two, one point. So you get a, a an extra point zero eight. Not a huge spread there. You know, if you're in the twenty eight percent bracket versus treasuries. Yeah, yeah. And um, if we look at the ten year muni, two point zero nine, the tax equivalent yield on that would at a twenty eight percent would be about two point nine. Um, so pretty close there too. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty close. The uh, key interest rates, real quick, if, if you uh, if there's time, yeah, wouldn't mind. Uh, prime rates three point two five hasn't didn't change. Uh, three month LIBOR 0.47. One year CD average about point seven one, and uh, five one year ARM mortgage on average two point seven five, and then thirty year mortgage three point eight eight percent. Um, I know Warren Buffett was uh, was screaming from the rooftops that hey, if you're you know going to buy a single family home, now wouldn't be a bad time because a, the interest rates are pretty historically low, and uh, the prices have continued to go down in various places of the country on uh, property values. So, right, uh, at least. From 2007 to now, um, relative value, if that was your measure, is pretty good. Indeed. So um, if we had a 3% inflation rate over the 30-year period, it's pretty cheap money, right? if you know what I'm saying. Now, we were joking about who actually qualifies for those rates when you see them. But, uh, you know, if you can, all things being equal, it's still a pretty good deal right now. No doubt. Gold, uh, 1,693 um, per ounce, so still pretty high. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, crude oil, 125, and gas on average here, 376. A lot of stuff in the headlines right now about uh, gas prices, fuel prices. Will they hit $5? Will they not? Interesting thing is we really don't know. I didn't <laughs> like that, Ethan. I think you're right about that. So um, there you have it. Those are just some key uh, numbers. You have any thoughts or anything? Where are we at on the on the clock here? Where we got a couple minutes or two? All right. I guess you don't have anything to say about that. Yeah, well, the numbers are the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Um, Alrighty then. So maybe I lay out the question, and then we'll go to the break, and when we come back. We'll start to talk about this idea, and you know what we're trying to. What, we're, what we were talking about, I was meeting with this very brilliant uh, individual. Uh, I have a lot of respect for this person and um, very, very smart. And they've done very, uh, it's a nice couple that have done very, very well for themselves. And uh, it the, the question kind of came up that, um, that do you, do you have a strategy that accounts for the future and doesn't just utilize past data? So we tend to be empirical uh, advisors. That's the name of our company, but that's what we've, we, we tend to uh, say, hey, we're looking for evidence-based investment strategies. Um, just like in other fields, medicine or science, you know, scientific fields, we want to, we want to look at tests, look at studies that uh, take a hypothesis and then they test that hypothesis. And try to come up with some conclusions. Um, and usually when you do any kind of test, right, you have to gather data. Uh, you run an experiment, right, or you gather data. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, that past data you're looking at and examining and looking for relationships or explanations, cause and effect relationships. Um, now, that's one way of investing. The other way of investing is to ignore all that research uh, and to kind of fly by the seat of your pants, if I guess if I could say, and and say, hey, I think, and we hear this a lot, that his, the, with the evolution of technology, global mar- markets, uh, all of that stuff, uh, can we even rely on any of, the, any of the research we've learned from looking at past investment data? And so when we come back from the break, Ethan, I really want to tackle that and um, start to delve into this because I think it's such a huge issue that doesn't really get talked about a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, I agree. But can can have far more impact uh, on our on your investment results than talking about whether we think gasoline is going to go to $5 a share or Greece is going to default on the debt or um, we're going to have a pipeline run through, you know, the Keystone pipeline or whatever it is that's kind of bothering you or, or giving you reasons why you think you should be buying or selling stocks. Um why is this way more relevant? We'll talk about that when we get back. Is there a break coming up here, Simon? Or okay, I'll just keep going until I hear some uh, some music or something. You know, maybe maybe uh, Sean could start humming or doing a little dance. I could whistle for it. Pretty good. So usually it's it's we're we're into the first break. Yeah, here. I know. So uh, well, we could start with that, or I have round two. We'll just keep on going. If you oh, okay. Do you want to dive into that yeah, let's conversation? Yeah, let's do a deep dive. All right. Or do you want to take a, d- a detour before we get to that? We can take a quick detour, I guess. I'm, I don't know. 
I don't know what's happening. Are you getting any communication from HQ there, Simone? All right. No. Okay. Let's keep hard charging this thing. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, I, I was reviewing. Before we get to the main topic today, Ken, I okay. we could take a little quick quick sideways look at something else here. I got some information in the mail today um, from the tax letter I subscribed to, and something interesting came across. And uh, the it's about your IRA account. And uh, I don't know how much how much you might be aware of this or not, but you know every IRA you can list your beneficiaries, right? You can list yeah. your beneficiaries as individual people, like your spouse or your kids or your cousin or whoever. Uh, or you can just simply write in. A lot of people simply write, choose to write in, "Hey, to my estate." As another alternative. Yeah. Well, in the case of uh, non-spousal beneficiaries, there's there can be an issue with that. Um, the IRS in the past has taken a stance of, well, um, if you list beneficiaries through your a state, they may not get the favorable tax treatment that you're looking for with the IRA account. They may force to, to force the money to come out of the IRA over the deceased's life expectancy, or rather, uh, yeah, life expectancy, relative to your own life expectancy if they're na- named designated beneficiaries. Yeah. So there's there's private letter ruling that the IRS finally clarified the rule, and so that's exactly right. Uh, looks like we have about one minute here. Is that right? Okay, so they came out with the rule, a private letter ruling that, that says explicitly that hey, if you put your estate as the beneficiary of your IRA account, um, and then the beneficiaries receive the money through the estate, uh huh, uh huh, you don't get the favorable distribution. Uh, that's that's garbage. Well, it's it's, it's good to know. Uh, oh, okay. Now that we actually have some some clarity, you can obviously protect against that by just naming specifically the beneficiaries you had in mind, right? Which I yeah. think is better. So instead of paying, uh, if you're not you're at the listing and you have your state as your beneficiary and your IRA, um, I think you should take a second look at that, and rather than have it go through your estate, designate specifically who you want the money to go to and in what proportion. That way, when they receive the money, it can be stretched out in terms of the required minimum distributions over their lifetime, rather than a, the life expectancy. So when you're saying estate, um, I, and I might have missed it there, uh, having a trust. Is that what does that fall into? No. Trust would be entirely different. Aha, uh-huh. entirely different. Okay. And we create we create a second or a third problem that isn't addressed with what I'm talking about here. Okay. So what we're talking about is you don't have any individual listed at all, right? If you just leave it blank, it goes through your state process. Right. Or if you list your state as your beneficiary. Right, I think so, I think now problem. we're taking a breather. So. We got to have some of our our valued sponsors. Um, <laughs> we'll be right back. All right. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right. Good afternoon. We're back here with the Empirical Investing Radio, Ken and Ethan. We're talking about, uh, actually going into the break, Ethan, uh, had a little change in our schedule here. And, uh, so we were a very rigorous putting schedule. in some filler there, but you were talking about the, uh, um, IRS, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, they made a private letter ruling on, uh, IRA beneficiaries. And, and, and a key thing here is that you don't want to just uh, say, hey, this will just go through my state and follow that path. Right. If you really want to plan the uh, ability to spread your your tax liability, or at least that of the beneficiaries, right. over their lifetimes. Correct. Rather than, uh, go ahead. Yeah, if it, you list your estate as beneficiary, uh, the beneficiaries ultimately have to take out the money much more quickly than they would otherwise if it went directly to an inherited IRA, and then it was spread out over their lifetime. So that can obviously mean a lot in terms of tax every single year for as long as you're taking money out of the IRA account. So it's a big, big deal. I mean, it could mean the difference between uh, ten years. You know, if you if you die when you're say 95, your life expectancy maybe is ten years, or, or the maximum life expectancy is ten years in terms of the IRS table. Uh-huh. Uh, versus, let's say, if you're 50, and obviously you may have 60 years left in your life in terms of the IRS table. So you're going to spread say a million dollars over 10 years, or a million dollars over 60 years. Obviously, the ones over 60 years would mean a lot less income tax to you. So that could be a big deal. Could be a gargantuan deal. Yeah, sometimes it is a huge deal. Yeah, could be could be huge. Anything else you want to share about that? Uh, no, I, that's it for that. Okay. 
<laughs> I like that. Take it to the bank. You can take that to the bank. Okay, so you want to talk about uh, the the uh, financial history? I think we should. Okay, know your financial history. Um, and I wanted to, you know, in the, in the context of the conversation I was having with this person, this investor, um, they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a dynamic uh, uh, process of investing. You know, I see a lot of this coming through in my emails. I'm, I get bombarded with being kind of the research guy in our firm. I get a lot of uh, brokerage research hit with me and products, uh, mutual funds that are always coming at me. <clears throat> and and a lot of the topic is you know has been a dynamic approach to asset allocation or um, you know is buy and hold dead and all those kinds of things over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the idea being that hey if I don't want to hear a bunch of nonsense you know I'm just speaking uh, as maybe somebody who fits this this person wasn't saying that but um, somebody who who feels that hey things are different now and. It real to be successful as an investor requires this dynamic, forward-looking approach to investing. And so, if someone said, "Hey, really, we we should," uh, as an advisor, for example, even if you said, "Hey, we should take this approach," because historically this is what happens, right? And because of that, we have some confidence that um, this would be a, a good approach to take. And so, and an investor might say, "Well, I don't, I don't. That's that happened." You know, why would we look back over what happened in the last 40 years, 50 years, 100 years? Why do we care about that? Why is it even relevant when really what I'm talking about is, is Greece going to go under? What is, what is some study about how markets worked over the last 100 years have to do with whether Greece is going to go, is going to default and we're going to go into a global financial meltdown? You know, should I, I want to know if I should be, uh, cashing out of everything and just sitting in gold bars, right? Right. My, my, I'm trying to frame what the, what, you know, how the, the mindset is potentially. Yeah. I think in the last 10 years, especially you've had a, um, well, the dot com bursted, you know, a decade ago, a little more than that. Uh, now you've been sort of bookended, as it were, by a terrible market here in 2008. Um, so yeah, it's been a pretty rough 12 years overall in the market. Okay. Where the previous 20 years have been very, very good. So if you said, let's see if I can frame this again in the way that we were talking earlier. Uh, if you said, hey, why would I look, pay any attention to the history? Well, one, you know, if you're, if you don't know your history, right? Some smart person said you're doomed to repeat the past and make the same mistakes that you made before. And so one reason I think you've brought up is, well, if you'd like to know what the boundaries are historically. You know, if we said, hey, have we ever been, if I was investing in stocks, have we ever had a down market before? If you didn't look at any of the history, how would you know what type of risk you were taking? You know, yeah. What if you said, "Hey, I, I have blinders on. I have no idea what this investment can do. It will follow its future." But no, we can actually look back to several before we got to the last two market declines, the technology bubble and and that, then the real estate decline, the financial crisis. There were several declines between the beginning of the U.S. Uh, publicly traded stock market and that, including uh, the depression, which was quite uh, severe sure. in terms of um, the, the loss in stocks and the time to recovery. So it should come, uh, if we knew our history, that would be an example where it would come as no big shock or surprise that we will go through 
um, bubbles because there's been bubbles for thousands of years in other types of markets sure. that are well documented and uh, and uh, ultimately market collapses and crashes right mm-hmm. so you would use that past information to say I got I'm now aware of what can happen you know and how would I how would I make decisions if we get into a frenzied um, overly optimistic stock market? And uh, should I fall into the hype that this time it's different when every single time, decade after decade, that's the headline that's followed? Right. Or do you say, hey, I've learned from, I've learned from the past. It's not different, right? Human behavior, right, and the principles that guide human behavior uh, haven't changed a whole heck of a lot when it comes to the greed and fear. Um, that's true, yeah. And the things that are involved there. Now we just have very sophisticated computer systems to uh, maybe amplify, you know, um, those those basic primitive feelings that we have. Mm-hmm. But so, if you're looking at past data, or you're saying, "Hey, I'm I'm basing my strategy entirely on the future," I think it would be naive to to say, "Well, if we break the market into um, two schools of thought, one in which we say capital markets should be designed in a way where when we diversify out a lot of the company specific risk in a portfolio what's left is that market-wide risk or systematic risk as the academic guys like to call it and i should receive some expected uh, reward or return for the risk that i take um, if i put my money in a very conservative or risk-free asset like a treasury as an example uh, and if we look back into the past and we said well geez this is interesting we've Every year, year after year, treasuries have beat stocks, uh, you know, a stock market portfolio. Um, it would be kind of crazy to ignore that data, right? And say, well, I don't want to look at the past. Every year for the last hundred years, each and every year, I took on stock market risk and was all this wild ride each year. But at the end of the year, I always underperformed owning just a treasury. How many of us would do that? How many of us would own stock anymore? Probably not that many people. Not that many people. But it's been the opposite, right? You say, hey, in any one year, it's it's pretty random. It's about a coin toss, right? With the odds slightly stacked in the stock's favor in any individual year. As my time horizon expands, the price that I pay for that short-term volatility has been rewarded with a return, a longer-term return, that's generated a positive premium over just owning a risk-free asset. Now, if you say that's been the past relationship in, in history in a capital market system, uh, would I just rely on that past correlation alone? Or would I say, well, there's some fundamental economic reason why I could expect this to persist into the future? And that's what we would do. We'd say, well, it's not enough that it happened. And our exa- my example was it's not enough to look at the price of uh oil in, in a particular region or the production of wheat or whatever, one single factor, find something that has a very high correlation to our U.S. stock market and say, hey, that's it. Now we've got it figured out. You also have to order, you know, the, the, the study about the uh, the football, who wins the um, the Super Bowl, right? Right. It's not enough to know that, geez, year after year, if it was from this particular conference in this period of time, that one, the market did well in the U.S., um, you'd really want to know, hey, why it, we can't stop with just the correlation, right? We have to actually look for explanatory value or causal. Yeah, is there a causal link there? Is there sure. a causal link? So, you, sure, you look and examine the past, 
part of it is to get boundaries and perimeters of what's happened so that I know what kind of risk I'm taking and, and, and behaviors I should expect out of my portfolio. Infinitely invaluable data to know. Hey, I know that any one year, knowing that historically what stocks have done, I wouldn't put all my money that I need to put on a, to buy a house in a, for one year from now. I, would, I probably wouldn't put it all in stocks. I wouldn't know that if I didn't know the past history on how stocks behave, though. Right? But because I do, if I study that, I know they're very erratic and volatile. Right. So if you take that and you say, hey, why is that different? You'd say, well, I, I, I want to look into the past, but I also want to look into the future to see, given the, the, the market system we have, do some of these principles apply? Would we expect risk to be related to return in the future like it has been in the past? Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. So then you could say, you could look at this and you could say, hey, if, if, because uh, this is not new, right? The, the idea of saying we're in a, we need to look forward into the future and try to predict what will happen and which investment asset classes or even stocks or bonds will do best. That's been going on since the creation of the stock market. That's been the conventional wisdom in the market. Mm-hmm. And what happened in the 70s with the creation of index funds that just captured entire groups of stocks from the stock market was you had guys that were looking at the the record, the track records of of people who are engaging in this forward-looking approach to investing, predicting future, whatever you want to call it, dynamic asset allocation. There's nothing new about any of that, right? It's not like, hey, this old buy the the buy and hold strategy is dead. Um, it was never the buy and hold strategy. It was always the dynamic. It was the research that came out on the track records of the guys who were applying this dynamic strategy for years, decades and decades. It said, hey, this is interesting. These guys haven't actually added a lot of value, at least not above what we would statistically expect to happen. And you've got a thousand monkeys out there, uh, throwing darts at stuff. And, and we get about the amount of monkeys that we would expect to beat the market. And, uh, and because of the additional costs these monkeys are incurring and, you know, buying darts and all that kind of stuff, they're actually underperforming or, or, or taking away from somebody who would just own the market in a very passive way, in a market-weighted capacity, right? Right. So to ignore that data and say, hey, for throughout history, um, if anyone had the opportunity of using a forward-looking approach to beat the market, it was when information wasn't disseminated as rapidly and easily as it is today. Right. And not only that, that we were saying because it's, is information is disseminated and technology has evolved and we are now this global marketplace where globally we are all in bed together here and it's interlinked economies. It's even harder to predict what's going to happen to our, our stock market because you don't have to just be able to predict what's going on in the United States. Now you have to worry about countries in, in outside of our market and what happens to their markets. So you've got all the complicated mechanism of our financial system, but now you've got it in every world market. And so you can't even just say, hey, I'm just going to pick the single market and be invested there because I can get my arms around that market because we're affected by China and by, uh, I mean, look at, Gas prices right now, the threat of uh, nuclear uh, nuclear Iran, suddenly gas prices run up, right? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly that affects us and affects other parts. Of it. Right. It's a very complicated system now that if you said, hey, back in the day um, where information wasn't that easily 
accessible. You really did need to be a professional to get gain access to it, to make it cost-effective to get that information. Um, and not only that, but the issues you were trying to sort through were a lot less complicated than they are today. It was easier to beat the market, and yet they, we don't have great track records as far as we can go back and look at the studies on these managers being able to do that consistently with persistence or taking it a step further, you being able to predict who these guys are in advance. Right. Well, if that was the case, um, you could ignore all of that data and say, well, I'm forgetting all of that. I'll just do it myself. But you're making, you're ignoring a huge amount of evidence. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I and do. You're making, you're breaking the market down into a very, very naive viewpoint if that's how you feel. You just say, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't believe any kind of research other than just me trying to interpret daily news. But, you know, if I was trying to accomplish anything, um, looking at the paths that other people who have taken that maybe have made a career or profession out of that, and what was their success in the way that they approached it, wouldn't you want to know that? And would that be useful to know? I think so. And, and, and I'm saying in the way that we apply market research and, and market history, we don't blindly look for random patterns that happen to work out and say, hey, now let's throw all our money into that, right? Yeah, there's got to be some some fundamental reason for it to occur. And certainly, certainly, and I, I like to read this article because this can be a perfect example yeah. when we get into that. Certainly, it's not that if we didn't think, hey, there we there's some imminent danger. Um, if we could feel comfortable that we said, hey, we know the market's going to drop 50%, between uh, starting next month and then between next month and the next two years, we're we're 99.9% confident the market's going to be down 50%. How much how com- confident do you have to be um, in order to say, well, I'll go ahead and pull all my money out of the market and I'll put it in cash or I'm going to put it in, um, maybe now you think real estate's really cheap and so you're going to run around and buy houses or buy um, apartment buildings or whatever it is you're going to do. Um yeah, you know why? Why wouldn't we do that, Ethan? Do you you know you want to jump in on any of this? Yeah, I think well, obviously it's very difficult to get get the timing any 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 prediction correct. Not only that, not just the magnitude, but the timing of it. Both of those things have to be correct, and no one knows honestly. No one knows the future, but I think understanding the past, at least what's happened in the past, not just the recent past, but the long term past, gives you an an idea of what to what to expect the volatility to look like, what the ride can be for you. And then it can also help you prepare for the eventual decline in stocks or the run-up in stocks. You know what I mean? Right. I think having some context in which to make your allocation decisions is very helpful and something that's very useful with the, the past information. And I like the idea, of, like you said, talking about, hey, the relationship between stocks and bonds. It, it, there's more risk on stocks, and therefore, over time, I would expect a greater return. If that didn't exist, that wasn't the real world. Like you said, no one in the world would own stocks. Everyone would own bonds. Stock markets right. wouldn't exist if that wasn't the case. Um, further than that, and then there, we can maybe get into this a little bit later, but among stocks, there's different factors that also help determine performance that have a causal link because there is a risk-return relationship there. Now, the small, we talk about it all the time on the show, small caps versus large caps and, and value versus growth and those sorts of things. Well, I guess we're going to take a quick break, Ethan. We'll be uh, right back. We'll continue this discussion.
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Rails, our last segment uh, of the day here. So if you uh, do want to chime in, go ahead and give us a call. Uh, for the radio program, it's 866-472-5790. But it, throughout the week, if you want to get a hold of uh, Ethan or I at Empirical, you can call our company at 1-800-923-4307. That's one 800 923 Four three zero seven, and if you want to email uh, myself or Ethan directly, you can. I'll give you my personal email. It's ksmith at empiricalfs.com, and I believe yours is what ebroga. Correct. Empiricalfs.com. E M P I R I C A L F S. dot com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas for the show, or you just want us to. Run by a scenario. Um, we're happy to do that, particularly if you mentioned that you found us through the radio program. We're happy to do a free evaluation of your investments and uh, 
kind of like a little portfolio checkup or overview or financial uh, retirement checkup. We've consistently offered that, and so uh, we'd love for, for you to take advantage of that. We're going into the break, Ethan. We've been talking about uh, how to approach this idea of, um, you know, looking into the past. Uh, and I think some people um, believe that, hey, if, if, if you're investing in a way that was well-researched and is backed by a lot of empirical data and academic research, somehow that that, uh, that, that is antiquated. And that the real need right now in order to be a successful investor is to be constantly looking forward yeah. and not only looking forward, but making drastic and, and what is referred to here in the industry as dynamic changes to your, to your portfolio strategy. I, I was just thinking as you're talking there that, um, well, I like that, you know, every, it isn't like any of us in this room, there's, and there's 18 of us in this room right now. No, just kidding. Just the four of us here. But yeah, my point is this. It's like everybody wants to. To know the future, right? Right. I want to believe that there is a strategy out there that can help me predict the future and consequently make lots of money in stocks. Like, who doesn't like that idea? If if you had a way to do that, or anybody, would we not do it? Of course we would, right? That that would be literally the holy grail of investing. If you could predict the future and actually make tons of money in stocks, right? Right. In essence, that's what a lot of the the active managers are really trying to do, in a sense. And the and person who's trying to predict the future and be in at the right time, be out at the right time, select only the right securities at the right time. That sounds all very good. I mean, I'd love that, love to see it. Yeah. But the, but the truth is, there's a vacuum of data. There's nobody who has been able to do it consistently for a meaningful period of time. And with, because there's an absence of data, you must conclude that it doesn't exist. Right. Right. That's the conclusion I've come to. And I think once you once you take that and accept it, you can move on and focus on things that really matter. Vacuum. Right. No, so, I agree. I just I wanted to point that out. I think it's an excellent point. Of course it is. It's a great point. Thanks, Sean, thanks, Sean. Hey, there he is. There he is. Come on. And that was two cents. No, I'd get around. There's his two cents. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, of course, we would love to find a strategy or, or um, that that we could always make money in every single market and sure. never take any sidestep any of the actual risk that right. uh, you would expect. Expect to get rewarded for, but it, but it's it's um, it's fundamentally uh, wouldn't wouldn't work as you had pointed out. The market would break down if that were the case. If if all of us could sidestep, right, um, or only a very smart group of us could sidestep, uh, eventually it it wouldn't work. Yes. So, as a group, we're all going to get the market return. Because we can't all be out of the market. Someone has to own the stocks that are out there at any point in time. Correct. Um, so as a group, we will all get the market return. Some of us will do better and some of us will do worse. Uh, and the persistence and consistency consistency between who does better and who does worse. Um, there are a few key things that, that uh, if you remove those things like high operating expenses, frequent trading, other things... It's pretty random, right? Outside of those those strategies. So if you know that a mutual fund that charges a, a two plus percent per year charge, just in the operating expense of that mutual fund, uh, has a tendency to fall in the lower quartile of performance because it's got such a large drag. But if you if you actually remove out the expenses on those on the funds, for example, it's pretty random who winds up being at the top and who winds up in the being in the bottom. 
every five, ten years or so. Um, so very, very hard to have and find uh, those winners in advance and keep them. Right. Keep them as winners anyway. So a couple other points that I, that I wanted to make on this subject um, when, we, when we went into the break was if, if you ignore um, the research, you say, hey, look, at, I've, I've examined how, how many people are, are, are more people be, be successful at beating the market or less as technology and information has evolved um, and institutional, institutional trading is dominated, right? Uh, great book, uh, Charles Ellis, you know, um, Winning the Loser's Game. He talks about this in that book. I recommend you read it if you doubt or you're looking for evidence on this. But it's less, uh, it's less people that, um, you know, that are out there individually managing money and beating markets consistently. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't, it hasn't made the markets less efficient in that, in that respect. So let's just, let's assume a couple of things that we will have a financial crisis. We will have down markets and maybe it will be every five to ten years. Um, is there anything new about that? I mean, no. No. <laughs> um, in short, we've, we've, end we've of always discussion. had market cycles, right? Of course. And that's part of the benefit of looking at the history to say, hey, is it really different or is it not? Yeah. Did we have we had down markets for sustained periods of time, or yes. are we having more volatile markets than we have in the past? You, that data is very easy to find if you look for it. Most people, though, decide not to read or look at that data. They prefer to read current articles like the the guy in the Seattle Times here. Yeah. They would much rather spend twenty minutes reading that than actually looking at something that they can apply for the into, definitely into the future to be better investors. And I think part of that is our personal nature, if we look at the whole psychology or behavioral finance, to want to feel like we're getting some future insight, you know, and it stimulates our emotional desire oh, to know what's going us. to happen in the future. Right. What draws attention to these articles that when they come out is our desire to feel that we can get some insight into the future. Yeah. Um, not that we actually wind up with a better understanding of how to be investors or accomplish a successful retirement. And so I thought maybe we could, if we got some time, let's go through this article, Ethan. Okay. But I want to preface it with saying that when guys write articles like these, and I don't care how smart they are, that's what's interesting about the stock market is some of the, uh, in terms of IQ, uh, some of the brightest people in history have gotten, if I can use the word spanked, uh, by the by, the stock market, and so the the stock market is not discriminant by intellectual capacity. That's one of the beautiful things about it. Right, is that you don't have to be a genius. You can you can be the average person um, who hires an advisor that's got reasonable intelligence, and and do quite well and be very successful as an investor. While many people who are brilliant do horrible. So Sir Isaac Newton uh, <laughs> was one of those examples. Brilliant guy. No dunce. Right? No dunce, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and look it up. Google it, the story about him and investing. Did horrible, horrible investing. Einstein talked, admittedly, hey, he's a genius guy. Not a great investor, right? And you can go on down the list. And some of these guys that you read about, George Soros and, and uh, many other people who have become so-called billionaires, supposedly become billionaires because of their, 
their market insights or trading. Um, you got to realize that I was just watching some lady just won $332 million in the lottery the other night. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, over yeah, at the East Coast or something. It's exciting. Yeah. She was like 88 right now. Are you ready to hand her your money? <laughs> are you ready to make a career, you know, out of buying lottery tickets? Is that what you, we're going to, how we're going to make money now? Right. Well, no, that's going to happen. You make, out of random chance, you're going to have some guys that are involved in markets. Just like if you go to the casino, right? Would you ignore the odds and say, I don't care about the past data on what the odds are in these games? Right. It's about the future, man. You got to be dynamic. Well, no, you, you wouldn't do that. Throw the odds out the window. I don't right. care about Double the odds, I don't care yeah, about Yeah, I don't the care odds. about that. That doesn't affect me. Um, hey, look, this guy just won, you know, he just won two million bucks at the casino last night. So that means I can do it. Right. It can be done. Well, yeah, that's true. It's possible. It's just not how But in most it. cases, yeah. many of us who are out there earning a living and, and, and doing what we do, we don't even need to do that to be successful, but we take a lot of risk. Right. Um, and we certainly bear a price because the odds are greatly stacked against us if we put all our money in lottery tickets or go to the casino that we're not going to win. And now that means we're going to have to work longer. Our kids aren't going to be able to call, go to college, right? Um, we won't be able to retire. We'll, we'll be, we'll be, uh, 80 years old, you know, and still be working. Um, that's not a lot of fun. That's not a great risk because the difference for most of us between, you know, five million dollars and a hundred million for the average person, it's not it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, the but the difference between zero and five million dollars, that's a huge deal. Right. So let's take a look at this guy here. What do you want to you want to take me through this, uh, Dave Stockman? Yeah, we can talk about it. Sure. Yeah, let's talk. We got a few minutes. So um, yeah, this guy David uh, Stockman. He's a former White House budget director under Ronald Reagan. Smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, he after resigning from uh, working with Reagan um, over protests and deficit spending, uh, made a fortune in corporate buyouts. Oh. Yeah. So we should trust him. All right. So anyway, this article goes on to Go say uh, there's a couple of things about uh, what he's saying in terms of the, the near future that doesn't, doesn't bode so well. He's very fearful. Uh, basically, he says this. Uh, Stockman suggests you'd be a fool to hold anything but cash right now and maybe a few bars of gold. So I'm not sure if he's even talking about that ingester. If that's a direct quote, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, he thinks that... Those are quotation marks? There isn't, but it's kind of a funny thing, right? Like, I don't know who says it that flippantly. I'm not sure. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, he thinks the Federal Reserve's efforts to ease the pain um, from the collapse of our national leverage buyout, that, that's in quotes, uh, his term for decades of reckless-fueled uh, debt-fueled spending by government, families, and companies is pumping stock and bond prices uh, to dangerous highs. Now, um, I don't know if that's exactly right. That's his feeling on the subject. Um, he goes on to talk about his personal um, intelligence and, and, and acumen in terms of dealing with finances. But here's the question. Okay. So he says, uh, the, the question is, why are you so down on the U.S. economy? The answer, he says, is it's because it's become super saturated with debt. Uh, he goes on to say, typically the private and public sectors would borrow $1.50 to $1.60 each year for every $1 of GDP growth. He says that was the golden constant. That had been the ratio for over 100 years, save for some minor uh, squiggles during the bottom of the Depression. Uh, by the time we got to the mid-90s, we're borrowing 3 or $4 for every $1 of GDP growth. And by the time we got to 2006 and 2007, we're actually taking on $6 of new debt to grind out $1 of GDP. 
So it's pretty significant differences over over time in terms of historical differences. And I know we're coming up toward the bottom of the hour here. Oh, man. Okay. So, so let's start next week's with this article again. All right. And uh, we'll, we'll regroup and talk about that and then kind of cover, cover some other topics. So okay. thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, giving us a chance to give you our, our views and opinions. And uh, if anything, if nothing else, hopefully it stimulates some thought and causes you to question your current approach. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you next week on Empirical Investing Radio. Take care. Thanks, Ken. hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.